Pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-pa-
privilege to be invited <laughs> to be here with you today, Richard. Thank you for being with us. Um, and so, um, so yeah, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, sure. About yourself. Absolutely. Well, I'm from San Francisco. Um, I got my start in journalism there at the San Francisco Bay Guardian, which is the the uh, dearly departed Alt Weekly yeah. of San Francisco. Um, I was a culture editor there before I moved to Mexico City about four and a half years ago. Um, just because I wanted to learn more about the culture down here. I, I really was looking... Um, you may have heard about how San Francisco is one of the most expensive places in the country to live these mm-hmm. days, 28000 or $2,800 for a one-bedroom apartment, blah, blah, blah. So as a freelance culture writer, you can imagine yeah. that I had Tricky. to, yeah, I had to, I found, I had to find a new home. Um, I was thinking about New York, I was thinking about Mexico City, and then I started thinking about like the cultural prof- profiles of those cities, like how much we know about goddamn New York City mm-hmm. and the rest of the United States. I mean, we've all seen friends, we all know what the <laughs> lifestyle is, we all know who the artists are we all know who are the parties but Mexico City like especially four and a half years ago white Americans did not know shit about Mexico City that is a fact um so I just thought that my talents and experience as a culture writer were going to be best served um writing about all the cool stuff that's happening in this amazing city of ours um so yeah I've been here for about four and a half years I've watched the Trump era rise and take hold from down here I did not realize that was going to happen I didn't realize that relationships between United States and Mexico were going to develop in the way that they have but um really awkward yes but you know what it made me even more happy to have a community down here have my friends down here and have a home down here that's a really great point that you bring up because it's it's something that like you know not something that i like think about very often it was just like uh, about how um again for because we're speaking in english would just say americans um we can say gringos gringos. (laughs) uh that you know let's say gringos um outside the u.s like it's it's a it's an interesting relationship to look back on the u.s because obviously like living in the u.s number one you know like like we're so fucking great this that the other and then like you like the once you step away beyond vacation, like for an extended period of time, you really get to see the, the like the cracks are are clear, but you they, you really realize that like they're not cracks, they're just entire chasms mm-hmm. uh, in like the fabric of like you know the country's culture and just like in politics and all that jazz. Like when I remember the first time, I mean I grew up outside the U.S., but like um, as an adult who was like you know. Uh, cognizant of everything that was going on when I moved to South America, you know, when I was lived, I lived in Argentina a year and I lived in Chile two years, like three years in South America, you really sort of start like that really puts into focus a lot of the shit, a lot of the animosity that the rest of the world feels for the U.S. Like Chile is really resentful uh, at the U.S. Understandably so. I mean, they are, you know, culprits with the dictatorship and it's a story that half the world can probably identify with. Of course. And, you know, I often say that growing up in the United States gives you kind of a mental handicap because our media does train us not to think outside of the borders of the country. I mean, we don't learn anything about world history. We don't even learn about our own country's history with other countries. Like you said, I mean, my partner's from Chile and we just went down there last spring and, you know, you get to see like those Pinochet torture centers that the United States founded, you know, and nowhere in the world can, is that apply more than here in Mexico. Mexico. I mean, this is a country that has had, like, like Porfirio Diaz said, poor Mexico so far from God, so close to the United States. You know, like, you yeah. can't have two countries that have more of an intertwined history. And in the United States, people don't know about it. And they see, like, for example, the cartel violence in Mexico. And they don't even think about, wait, who's buying those drugs? Yep. 
Um, so yeah, I feel, I mean, privileged is a word that I use a lot in relationship to my years in Mexico city, but I feel really good about having gotten the chance to learn from Latin Americans about Latin America. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's, I like, and you're really good at asking these questions, like, because this is very much reflected in the work that you do. Like, um, I often like, cause you and I sort of have like similar tastes, even though like we don't necessarily write about the same stuff, but I do often read your articles because I'm interested in the subject that you write about um, because you usually have like um, you cover a lot of like queer perspectives a lot of like underground clubs a lot of marginalized um, you know uh, I want to say like let's say subgroups of, of like you know, independent music. Um, so like, I, I'm always like really interested in that. And like, you're really good at sort of like finding the, the political or the social significance of each artist in, in, well, let's say in like in the civilization or society that they're uh, existing within. Um, so like what, what, what brought you in this direction? Like what this, this sort of like quest for knowledge and for answers? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for reading. That's, I really, that makes me feel good. Um, second of all, uh, to answer your question. Um, so I was a sociology major. Um, I was brought up by two like radical labor union activist parents. And I always thought I was going to go into politics, which I actually, my first job starting when I was 17 and up until I was 21, 22 were as a labor union organizer. Um, so I would work with labor unions. I worked with the child care workers union. I worked with the healthcare workers union. Um, and I also worked on political campaigns, like organizing union members to vote for X, Y, and Z candidate that had signed on to help the union out with their agenda. Um, the last campaign that I worked on was Barack Obama's first presidential campaign, Whoa. which I guess was probably like a high watermark when it comes to hope in the United States. Right. But for me, it really had the opposite effect. Um, we were being driven to talk to X number of people and get X number of people registered. And it just started to feel like this machine. Mm. And it started to feel like I was having these like really combative conversations with people about topics that we didn't even want to talk about. Do you know what I mean? That, both, that were making both of us um, feel bad. So I took some time off. I got a chance to travel around, um, Central America a little bit. And I started thinking about the things that organize people that people like, like what brings people together and makes them happy. Um, and I came up with music, art, art, yeah. Uh, drugs, I mean, (laughs) sexuality, um, culture, So when I got back to San Francisco, um, I, again, was so lucky that uh, the culture editor at the time uh, at the Bay Guardian, Mark E.B., took me on as his intern. Um, Four years later, he was the publisher. I was the culture editor. Um, Mark E.B., for those of you who don't know who that is, is like one of the premier nightlife writers in the United States. Like he is was grew up in Detroit, was the king of rave back in the 80s. Goddamn. Um, started a crazy queer nightlife column um, in the Bay Area on gay.com in the 90s. Woo! Went to the Bay <laughs> Guardian. Um, and, you know, it just infuses everything that he does with this like weird super a cultured knowledgeable um trove of like queer culture um so he was really he's my like my writer dad wow um so you know that basically tells you everything that you need to know about my career today (laughs) 
Um, and music actually was not something that I even wrote about at all when I was living in the United States. I mean, back in the United States, I listened, I'm, I'm like hip hop. Like sure. my first album at 10 years old was Salt and Peppa, very necessary. Like <laughs> I never listened to another genre really. Um, and then I came down to Mexico City and I realized, I mean, there is a hip hop scene here, but it's a, a smaller, what's yeah. a lot more vibrant um, is the reggaeton scene. Yeah. And I, early on living in Mexico, I met my friend Rosa Pistola, um, who at that time wasn't even DJing yet, and kind of got to see her begin her DJing career. And she taught me so much about reggaeton and introduced me to all these amazing people, all these amazing club music producers. Um, I have a natural attraction to nightlife. Um, I'm a member of the Tradición Collective, so I'm pretty involved in the nightlife in, in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And so I've just, I've just gotten to like learn about these genres and the people that are making them, which is like incredible. That's amazing. Well, we have a whole lot of playlist, a whole lot of show ahead, and I have so many more questions. But uh, let's keep it moving with with the, la música. So before we play the next track, I want to talk a little bit about the track that we opened with, with, uh, with which is Setanganas Traicionero. Um, and again, I love the song. Like, and I, again, I've I'm a little skeptical about Spaniards doing trap, just because like. Not just colonialism, but just like the open racism that there's still <laughs> in Spain, which I have actually uh, faced, you know, twice that I've been to Spain, uh, eight years apart, and I still got called a sudaco multiple times, and I was like, Dang. word, I I will never be like America number one, but I did pull out my U.S. passport, and I was like, actually, bitch. Uh, so like, you know, that was a desperate measure, um, but you know, but Setangana, I actually really dig because like. In in trap, at least with with the the genre of trap, I the only other trap artist that I actually really dig is uh, Bad Bunny mm. because he actually brings energy to his performance and to his music. Like everybody is usually like nah 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 nah, and like I. I, 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 I'm very much of the belief that like if you're gonna come and like try to shake me, you really gotta do it. You can't just be like, eh, I showed up. You should be like living your life. Like you really need to give it your all. And like I feel like Setangana is one of those artists that's really giving it all. So like, tell me a little bit about the song and why why you chose it for today. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I take your point about Spanish trap music. Um, <laughs> I think that I mean trap and hip hop have been such a big thing in Spain for so long, mm-hmm. but oftentimes. Sure. Although it's obviously being inspired by um, different, you know, music from different countries, it does, t- it feels a little bit like inward looking sometimes. Mm. Um, what I like about Setangana, I mean, Setangana is basically the most famous rapper in Spain right now. He's risen to the top of the charts in his country for sure. Um, and at this point, what he's doing is starting to branch out and collaborate with people from other countries. For example, Traicionero, he made with Cromo X, which you probably know as a Dominican that is like, Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, when I was in the Dominican Republic, I think Joel from Remezcla went to the Chrome, to Chromex's studio. Yeah. And like he he was like he had just gotten a message. I guess he just texted Isabella, who's the editor at Remezcla, the music yeah. editor at Remezcla, and she was like, "Oh my God, so jealous!" Da, 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 da. And I was like, "Who's Chromex? Chromex <laughs> is just like a legendary like." Um, producer he's a legendary MC and uh, so the fact that Tangana is collaborating with him and like went to the DR to film this video the video is cool uh-huh the video is amazing it's super adrenaline pumping yeah. etc um, he's just looking I mean instead of like hanging out in Spain and making like Spanish dempo which yeah. whatever the hell that would be um, he's going and like collaborating with people that have been in the genre for yeah. a long time so that's really cool the reason why I picked this though has nothing 
nothing to do with any of those reasons. Um, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to start with this one is because you had asked me um, to bring a curation of darker club tracks, uh-huh. and I wanted Which to... Which is what you usually cover. Yeah, for sure. Um, darker club, reggaeton, uh, trap, hip-hop, etc. Like underground booty-shaking stuff. Thank you, yes. <laughs> um, but this track, Traicionero, is actually the first... Um, in a series of collaborations that Tangana has announced that he's going to be doing with the Mexico City Collective, NAFI. Um, and it's a good like indicator of how these like darker kind of club beats are infiltrating the mainstream right now and yeah. how they're popping up in hip-hop, they're popping up in trap. Um, I hope that in the future this leads to greater revenues for the originators of Hello. the genre. Um, but yeah, this is just like, we're starting here to, to be like, yo, this is important. Awesome. Well, uh, you did mention that this was a collaboration with Nafi. And um, up next, uh, we have uh, some producers um, who have been affiliated with Nafi. Um, we have Paul Marmota next, uh, who's not with Nafi anymore, but I, I do know that they, they worked together for a long time. Um, and the track is Por Bien o Mal, and this is featuring La Favi, yes. who I think is from San Francisco as well, right? La Favi is from San Francisco. Did you know her before like she started putting out music? You know what? The way I got to know La Favi is because she started, I was down here in Mexico City, and she started popping up like on the feeds of these artists that I follow. Yeah. Um, I think the first time I actually really got to know about her was on Remezcla, um, oh. per usual, just like leading the way, Remezcla. Um, but yeah, but La Favi is from the, she's, you know, um, she's old school San Francisco. Um, she also has like p- part of her family is from Spain. So she has this voice that is just like so beautiful. And like, if you really listen hard, I think you can like kind of hear a little bit of that, like, Mm, flamenco influence yeah. a little bit that her, you get. In her voice specifically, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah, um, and she's been really, she's been collaborating with a lot of these newer reggaeton voices, mm. so with Tomasa, Miss Nina. Miss Nina, yeah. Miss Nina is a longtime collaborator of La Favi, um, and a bunch of these producers that we're going to hear. And so this track is with Palmer Moda, and I just want to give a big shout out to Palmer Moda, because really when we're talking about this kind of like dark Latinx electronic uh, reggaeton dembo club beats, like this is one of the originators of this genre. Awesome. Um, he's from Santiago, Chile, but he's been living in Mexico City for a long time, has a family here, and yeah, was one of the um, was one of the really foundational members of Nafi for a long time. Um, you can see his influence on a lot of work that comes out of that whole like collective yeah. diaspora um, and so now he's independent uh, he dropped an album earlier this year that I just think was like super slept on called Zona and um, the song Por Bien o Mal is from Sona, and you're gonna see just how he like takes like Fabi's like incredible like super I, I always say angelic voice and then mix it, it in with like pistol cocks do you know what I mean? Like these are really aggressive things, which is really cool. Because La Fabi, if you if you know anything about her, you know that she's not like a, a soft kind of girl. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of how beautiful her voice is. So, yeah, I hope you're gonna like this song. All right. Again, this is Paul Marmota. Uh, la, the track is Por Bien o Mal, featuring La Fabi, and we'll be right back with more Cat Donahue.
Alrighty, and we are back. And the song that we just listened to uh, is called Agua y Puerta, and this is by a Uruguayan producer called Lechuga Zafiro, um, which, by the way, like, we don't highlight enough artists from Uruguay on this show. So, like, I'm really excited. Like, I, I don't know too many. I, like, I know Lechuga Zafiro and Dani Umpi. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is, like, so random. So, Lechuga is one of the co-founders of a really important Uruguayan um, collective called Salvia Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, it's him and another producer named Povio. And, yeah, I just love... He has this new EP out called Testigo. And that last track that we just listened to, Agua en Puerta, is off of that EP. Mm-hmm. This is like the moistest <laughs> EP that you will ever hear. Like it literally, there's so many water effects. And I wanted to play this track in particular because I'm literally dying. Like, okay, shout out to all the DJs that are listening to this right now. If you plan on playing this track, please let me know because I'm dying to watch people dance to these. Like, Dook. Exactly. Like, what does it look like? What do you do with your body <laughs> to that song? You know? And I just, I just love that track because it really like, a lot of these tracks are kind of like expanding um, what a club can be, like what kind of motions and what kind of sounds belong in these clubs and what, what do we need to be listening to at like four in the morning when we're like our, our ear right up against the speaker, or, like dancing our heart on the dance floor, like. What what does the soundtrack to that look like, you know? I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I would guess something like this is it would be good to, like, sample and loop and just sort of, like, distort the fuck out of, like... Mm-hmm. Or maybe just press play and see what happens. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm trying to see the whole thing. I'm trying to see all three minutes and 16 seconds of that song. Lechuga's weird, right? Because he's part of Salviatek. He's part of Nafi. And is he part of Yedra? I think he is part of Yedra, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, all these collectives, like when we're talking about like, oh, who's in and who's out, it's a, it's not fuzzy. I mean, it's a little bit fuzzy. It's not like... There isn't a contract? Yeah. Time. Like if you go up on like the Nafi website, for example, like you're going to see a list of producers, but that doesn't mean that if you're not on that list, it's that you're not part of the collective. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like in some ways, it's like this big family that gets keep, keeps getting bigger and bigger. And all these collectives are super intertwined. Right. Do you know what I mean? Salvia Tech and Hiedra especially mm. because Hiedra is from Buenos Aires, Salvia Tech is from Montevideo. I mean, those are pretty close. They're not like, it's not really an, an area um, that is like renowned for the, where it didn't used to be really renowned for this kind of like groundbreaking right. kind of club music. So they've really grown up together and like the history of these collectives is really intertwined, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's amazing. Um, so speaking about collectives, uh, I know that you are uh, a part of Traición, uh, which I think is like, uh, I mean, it's one of the most major or at least one of the most influential parties uh, in Mexico City right now, I would say. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about your role at Traición? Absolutely. Um, so Traición has been around, I think, for about Pride in July was our third anniversary. Yeah. And I've been there pretty much from the get-go. Um, my official role is door bitch. And um, chroniclist, chronicler. Okay. Um, so every once in a while, it's kind of a funny thing, and the, and the and the chronicling of the party has been funny because every once in a while, like these big United States publications will hit me up and be like, "Hey, we see you live in Mexico City and you write about queer stuff. Can you write about tradición?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but like that's also like a project that I'm <laughs> part of." But like there. nine times out of the ten, they're like, "Oh yeah, well yeah, do it anyways." I'm we'll like, make an okay. editor's note. Cool. Yeah. So basically. <laughs> 
like we've been putting together like these chapters of like the party's history, which is amazing. But Tradición started out as, um, a, we call it a, una fiesta sexo diverso. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's for queers, it's run by queers. Um, but we also welcome uh, intelligent heterosexuals. Um, and basically like the bulk of the, of the party is a monthly event that happens um, Traditionally, it's been on Sunday afternoons, and um, and it has a lot to do. I mean, it's a dance party. You know yeah. what I mean? Like one of the founders is Mexican Jihad, who is also one of the founders of Nafi. Um, also, Deratira, who is like a really important um, female club promoter here in Mexico City. There's not too many of them. Shout out Deratira. Um, the other person's people are um, Diego Jimenez, who is part of Tape, and okay. also Pepe Romero, who is a um, post dramatic theater director and uh, actor. And so the events are these really exciting blends of this like excellent music curation, Mm -hmm. like excellent music creation of like live acts and DJs from across Latin America, from, from across the United States, from Europe. Um, and then also performance. Yeah. And so you get performance and we're not talking about like, uh, a drag queen lip syncing, although we love drag queens and we love lip syncing, but usually what happens in tradición is it's a, it's a performance that you would normally see in a theater, like a theater or museum, things like that. And we're inserting it into a nightlife context and it's always queer people doing stuff about, uh, about queer issues. And, um, it's a really exciting event. I mean, yeah. I mean like I, I've, I've been to, I've only been to Tradición Pride actually this mm-hmm. year and I got my polencho, okay. uh, which by the way, for those who don't know, it's like these commemorative sort of t-shirts uh, or merch or swag that, that um, are done for every different right. party because it's well, a monthly party. Yeah, exactly. Well, polencho is actually our um, patron saint. He's a mythical gender queer Aztec deity. Really? Yes. He actually comes out of... Um, uh, out of a novel, out of a memoir that was written by Salvador Novo, who was one of super important queer writer in Mexico City um, for a long time, but starting in like the turn of the century, like Novo has been around for a long time. And in his first memoir, which is called Estatua de Sol, okay. it's his memoir of him like coming of age, essentially um, coming out of the closet, moving out of his parents' house, like joining what was really like Mexico City's first open queer society. And there's this one scene in his first uh, apartment outside the family house where him and his friends are decorating it and they they find this uh, pre-Columbian figurine and the only the only um description is that it's Nalgón, that it has like a big ass. <laughs> That's me. But they put it, they name him Polencho and they put him to oversee their their rituals, which was their their term for orgies. Okay. So basically Polencho was like overseeing the sex parties and like providing the lube and all that. So okay. So now, so we've brought Polencho into the modern era, and for every party, a different artist interprets him, and yet we make a t-shirt so that everyone can have, you know, the, oh. their Polencho of the moment. Yeah, but it's the same character. It's the same. Everyone's taking this really bare-bones description and, and making it their own. That's fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, because I've always loved the designs. I definitely have my favorite, and you're actually kind of dressed like her at the moment. It's the lady in the leopard sort of onesie yes. with the mask and the tail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, and the real, like the cute pump. Like it was a cute pump yes, too. I remember yes, the pump. Yes, I, yes. I, I, I don't have that one. I do have the guy in the jock strap from the, from the, from the anniversary party, which was great. Um, but yeah, I, I love the polenchos and yeah, like, I, I mean, and I, and I do want to go back to, I want to highlight the art, the performance art, 
uh, is just so fabulous. I mean, like, um, you know, uh, you've had uh, Rafa Esparza is like, I, I saw him for the first time recently at Scum, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was phenomenal. Um, and like, yeah, like, I mean, I remember like there was, uh, uh, who was it? Le- uh, Luth- Latex Lucifer uh, did this incredible performance at, at Traición Pride. It was just like, Amazing, like it was suspension. Well, it was yeah, it was rope art, but he was suspended. It was like a whole thing. Um, I don't know. I just like I really, really, really love that. Yeah. Um, we have uh, spoken about uh, a little bit off mic actually, but I, I wanted to highlight this because the next uh, set is uh, women producers uh, and women DJs, and like we do talk about sort of like I mean I often talk about like festival lineups just don't have women on them, and then like you know club nights just maybe there's a female DJ, maybe with like seven dudes. So it's just like, I want to talk a little bit about the visibility of women in nightlife. Um, yeah, and sure. particularly in Mexico city, since this is where you've been for so long now. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think that we're living through an era in Mexico city when women are, f- are finally becoming the movers in nightlife. I mean, apart from Deretida, um, you also have Phaedra, who is um, an incredible DJ, but is also one of the managers at a, a Club Terminal, which oh, is wow. like one of the like hot new, relevant nightlife spots in CDMX. Um, but you're right. There's not a lot of women that are involved. I mean, there's not enough women. You would think that there would be more. We actually just put together... Um, Traición just had its first, I guess you could call it a ladies' night. I kind of hate that term, but it's it was a it was a party. It was a, a version of Traición that is specifically for women, and it's called Tortilla. I did see men there, so like it was it was not exclusionary. Oh yeah, was it? no, we're not about that exclusionary. I we're know. not about that separatist life at all. Okay. Um, I don't think I ha- I'm, I don't think you're ever gonna come to a Traición where X Y or Z g- gender is not right. allowed in the door. <laughs> <laughs> but the party was the focus was on women, and okay. if you came early on in the night, um, you would have seen that it was like ninety percent women, which for any party. In this city, I mean, I'm going to take it beyond the city. Any party in the world, yeah. if you have 90% women, even if it's a lesbian party, like, that's pretty damn good. Because, yeah. and the only, like, reason I can even think of, because in the, in the run-up to this party, I was really thinking about, like, why don't women go out more? Why don't women go out there? Why don't we have more women in nightlife? And I was just like, I, is it maybe because they're too smart? Because, like, <laughs> nightlife is expensive. Yeah. Buying drinks is expensive. Clovers are expensive. I'm like, maybe women are too sensible for and this safety. shit. safety. I mean, that's something that right. we can't downplay ever. Right. And then we get into the real reasons, exactly. right? Which is, like, <laughs> which is like safety issues, like, and straight up just like not feeling super respective or relevant because there's a lot of times where I'll go to a so-called queer party and it's a bunch of men that honestly could not care less if I was there or not. That's I was like, fact. well, I guess I don't really need to be there. I mean, case. yesterday I was at La Purisima with two friends, two girlfriends who are visiting from Texas. And like, I guess there was a straight guy there because one of my friends was getting hit on hard and she was like really uncomfortable. She's like, well, what the fuck is happening? Like, it do- and it doesn't get much gayer than La Purisima. So it's no, just like. But the thing about the secret about gay men is that some of them are machistas. Oh, totally. Oh, and yeah. it doesn't even like, because if I could tell you the amount of queer men or so-called feminist men that have literally walked up to me in club, I had a guy come up to me at Traición once, grabbed me by the nipples, both nipples, grabbed me by the nipples. And I said, the fuck? And he said, but we're friends. Cool. So, and that's not, yeah. if you talk to any, I mean, you can talk to pretty much any woman that spends a lot of time 
in queer nightlife and they're gonna have a story like that oh totally so like the fact that it's a gay club does not mean it's gonna be a, a nice spot for ladies to hang indeed and that's something that like I, you know and it's great that these conversations are becoming more common now I mean whether it's in social pe- in, in social media or through like performance or you know just straight up in the club that's actually one of the things that I really like about the resurgence of drag be it through drag race or whatever I mean you know each country each city is, is adapting it in their own way but you know drag queens have always been sort of like a, a mouthpiece for the community so like a lot of these conversations are just happening in these spaces now you know somebody grabs the mic and like this queen just like lets you all fucking know like I mean you know and again it doesn't just have to be a queen but I'm saying like it's become more common to have these conversations in nightlife spaces which totally. is so important I mean we still have tons of ways to go but yeah. but it's becoming more common which is a good thing and I have to give props especially to the Mexico City drag community because they have been really proactive about supporting um, folk queens about supporting wow. cis women yeah, yeah. in drag um, and that's been something like even like we just had the first Mexico uh, drag reality show, La Mas Draga. I saw that you covered that. That was I really did. cool. I, you know, I wanted that article to, I mean, that article could be a book. Like I, if anyone wants an oral history of drag in Mexico City, like I am fully 100% on board to write that <laughs> shit. So hit me up. But, um, book but her. <laughs> exactly. Book but me even, too. Even though there was no cis women like on that first show, all the producers, the creators, the, co- the competitors, everybody was very, adamant about the fact that they wanted women on the next episode on the next season um and then they fully supported women um in drag which is like a big change from the leaders of the drag community in the united states i mean we have rupaul out there saying that That, women literally can't do drag so i mean talk about mexico being the future do you know i mean we're all within the constraints of gender and trying to break free um so we all have the right to perform it and lampoon it as we see fit. Of course. And as more and more people come to terms with their non-binary identity too, I think that these these kinds of limitations that we put on drag as a performance are going to seem more and more silly. Hell yeah. Well, let's move on to some musica with some women that are really breaking down some some walls. Uh, First, let's start with Riobamba. I love Riobamba. Um, I love Rio Bamba. Sara so. is the shit. She's a boss. Um, I met her when she was still editor at Remezcla. Um, I never actually got to write for her. Mm-hmm. I got to pitch her, but then she like was like, bye. Um, but she, but since, I mean, this has been what, like a little more than two years, three years maybe? Like she has just been killing it. Mrs. Worldwide. Like she is out here everywhere. So like, tell us a little bit about Rio Bamba and why, and why uh, you brought her in today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I 100% agree with you. Um, Sarah Skolnick, Rio Bamba, is the boss. Um, She is Ecuadorian, Lithuanian, so she just has this really, she really thinks a lot about, like, the dichotomies and the trichotomies that are involved in diaspora and immigration and how culture passes from place to place. And you can tell that from her work, like, the kinds of, like, event curations she comes up with. I mean, she came up with that event, um, that women in reggaeton one that had, like, Evie Queen, Rosa Pistola... And a bunch of people from last year. Oh, was that the Red Bull thing? Yes. Oh, wow. And she's always making these connections between like the older generation of reggaeton and mm-hmm. like the current, the current, the young bucks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. In a way that's really, I think, ex- extremely important so that we don't lose that history. Um, she's also really good about just like uniting contact, content from different regions, from different geographical regions. Um, and this particular song that we're about to play, it's called Echo Echizo. Um, 
it's a great example of how like cerebral and referential and amazing that she is in her work. Um, it's, uh, she has this quote that's on the track and it says that this song is made out of earthquake field recordings, deconstructed DJ Playero reggaeton heritage samples via Kelman Duran and Malafama's original, um, which all collide for a retelling of a warrior call from Malafama's Queen Chuki uh, indigenous community. Malafama is an Ecuadorian producer as well. So it's just like, I mean, she's just like making people think with like this electronic demo. And it's, I'm like, dizzy just thinking about all that. Um, well, let's go ahead and play it again. As you said, this is Riobamba. The song is Echo Echizo. Um, and we'll be right back with more Cat Donahue.
Alrighty, and we're back. And the second song that we just heard there, um, wow, it really feels doing weird doing this in English. <laughs> we can, um, it, it's been no, it's just been it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the second song that we just heard there is "Remain." Uh, this is by uh, Mexican American producer Debit, uh, who is also a part of Nafi, but she's just like just a crazy cool human, just doing her own thing, and has been doing her own weird thing for a while. Um, I mentioned to you off mic that I remember her back when she still played in HDXD with Yankin. Um, and like, I saw her in like Monterrey cause I believe she's from Monterrey or like border life, you know, sometimes Monterrey, sometimes Texas. Um, but you know, Debit pretty well. Yeah. Um, I feel like Debit is a kindred spirit. And I can see that. Cause you're both like pretty escandalosas. <laughs> that's, I think that that's what we bond over. Yeah. Um, Debit. And that's like, I'm just like in awe of her. I would even venture to say that I have a crush on Debit. Okay. She's just like another one of these like women in nightlife that is just like so smart, like so smart. And Debit has like this technical capacity too. Like you said, like this, this project, the Debit project is not her first yeah, rodeo in music. And no, for a long time. Um, but I think that this project that she's working on right now was like a really good, um, demonstration of what she's able to do in in the in the booth, you know, in the mixing booth. Um, she's going to school right now for sound engineering. Is she? I didn't she, know that. Yeah, That's I think cool. she just started this fall. So shout out Debit. Because um, she played at Panorama, I think. Yeah. Um, she's played a couple of festivals, like. Uh, again, like she's Mutek. crazy cerebral. Did she already play Mutek or is she about she to? She played Mutek. Yeah, she just in played Montreal. Mutek, Montreal. And she also played Mutek, San Francisco. Stop. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, th- so Remain, the track that we just heard, has uh, a sort of like an accompanying video. Um, and it's really... Um, uh, what? what how is it? Escandalosa. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, so Debit has, I mean, she has this philosophy that uh, I saw her post something recently on social media that was like, instead of like backing off on femdom around men, she finds it more radical to go like full throttle into mm. being a femme. Um, and that's like a little bit of her like protest or whatever. But this video that she put together for Remain is just like, it blew, it blew my mind when I first saw it. Um it's just footage of her and her like dumbass teenage girlfriends, I think in Texas, um, just being really scandalous, like you said, <laughs> being a scandalosa, saying like flashing the camera, their bras, like harassing the 7-Eleven dude at the counter about where the XL condoms are, like and har- like fifteen sixteen in this video. Yes, but it's like all this like kind of pervy footage that they took of themselves, you know, and it kind of like calls into question like. <laughs> The kind of, you know, the sense, the sense, the, uh, how do you say, um, sensationalizing of the female body. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because what does it mean? Like, yes, okay, it's like borderline kitty porn, but what does it mean that these girls shot it right. for themselves? You know, what does it mean that like these like dirty ass like vocal clips that we're hearing are like girls talking to each other? Because if you hear 15, 16 year old boys talking dirty, that's really not that shocking. That's boring. And so like, you know, th- there is something to be said about like the maybe the jarring or you know nature of like women taking 
control of their of their sexuality, especially at like at that age. So it's like it's not only a double whammy of sort of like as you said, it kind of kitty pornish, but at the same time, like female empowerment at such a young age, it's there's something about it that's really sort of shocking. Yeah, it's like taking these really private moments that honestly all girls had, you know, um, and putting them out there for people in a way that's like you don't and that, that doesn't get seen that yeah. often. Totally. Wow, mm-hmm. that's fucking cool. Well, shout out to Debit. Love you, girl. Um, I, 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 we, we, we plotted an interview once, and like when I'm back in New York, I definitely want to talk to her. Oh yeah, please. Oh, I would love to hear that. <laughs> She's a great interview. Um, all right. Well, let's carry on with some musica. Um, so next up, we got a track uh, from Yedra, and as we mentioned before, Yedra is a collective and the reason this is accredited to Yedra is because there's four different members of Yedra uh, credited uh, on this track. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. So Yedra, I often say, is my favorite party that I've never been to before. (laughs) And knowing what you already know now about my background in politics, um, you're going to understand that really well because Yedra is like this like balls to the wall kind of like social activism threading nightlife with politics kind of collective um real responsibility they feel real responsibility to their community um they often hold events like out in the street parties morph into marches um they, uh, I mean, you probably know that Argentina is going through super turbulent times right now. Yep. They have a really conservative president who's doing some really nasty things to the working class down there. And Iedra really sees it as their responsibility as um, visible people in Buenos Aires to kind of um, keep that message, that political message of resistance at the front of their, of their tracks, which I love. Well, I read, because uh, you, I don't know if you profiled them or if it was more like a review of like a collection that they put out or it was like simultaneous, mm-hmm. but I remember the st- in the story, um, it actually sort of like, it, 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 um, it really filled out something that I had, uh, like a conversation that I had with, I think it's Fer from Defensa. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know Defensa? Yes. They're also like of that same sort of scene. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I just, the guy randomly added me on Facebook and then all of a sudden we just started chatting and like, so he was telling me about like a lot of the stuff that's happening with the government that, you know, um, a lot of like a lot of like independent musicians were playing at sort of like cultural centers because like you didn't really have to pay to be there or if it, if you did it was a small sort of like rent of the space and you could do the party et cetera et cetera um, and like a lot of them have shut down because of the government and you know all this jazz and so like you know a lot of artists and musicians are not they don't have the spaces to perform anymore so like now you have to perform at like these boliches or a big antro a big club um and like that's really expensive because then you have to pay the bartenders and the door people and the this and the that the other and so like instead of like they were they were he was telling like we were performing once a month and now we perform maybe once every three months right um and so like that's yeah as as you said like yeah argentina is going through a moment right now where like it's kind of like a war on the arts it's just absolutely and i actually did a piece for remember I think this spring that was looking at several different collectives, Defensa was one of them, in Buenos Aires and their experiences throwing parties in a repressive environment like that. I don't know if you remember this, but a couple years ago, um, a re- like a big mega club in Argentina had a fucking tragedy happen. Oh, it was like a fire, right? It was a yeah. fire and a bunch of doors were locked that weren't supposed to have been locked. And as always happens Ugh. in these situations, in these tragic situations, the government took advantage 
and use it as justification to start repressing an entire genre yep. of music. So you have to have licenses now um, if you want people dancing in your event. It's kind of like that cabaret law yeah, in New yeah, York yeah. City. New York, New York that still got has it. Struck out. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> um, or did it? Or didn't they strike it down recently? Transpicos had it, um, and Transpicos is, is a major like a DIY venue in Brooklyn. Right. And like, I don't know if they if they. Di- I think they eventually recently. Oh, maybe they did strike it. down. I think recently they struck it down. Yeah, because like Transpicos, you could not dance, and it was like a big thing. They either had to choose between selling booze or dancing, and like you and like they're playing. You know, Buscabulla is playing, and you're like, so I'm not supposed to dance. That's wild. That's so, tricky. So that <laughs> was the situation in Buenos Aires, and I talked to a lot of collectives down there. I I can't remember. It might have been Defensa, actually, that um, they, if the cops were coming in, they would instantly hand the DJ a book and he would start reading poetry. Ah. So the cops would come in and it would look like it was a poetry reading. Argentina's the best. Yeah. So anyways, having experiences like that, I think will radicalize you. If you weren't radical before, when someone starts telling you that you can't dance, I mean, that is a quick... That's a quick path to political engagement. Come through Footloose. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's where Iedra is at. Um, well, so tell us about this track. So uh, the, we're about to listen to Mordida do Macaco. And this is featuring, again, four producers from the Iedra Collective. Uh, Agromance, Brian, Lechuga Zafiro, and Tayana. Yes. So um, Tayana is an incredible producer. If you don't know about her, then please get to Googling because um, she she. Re- she moved up to Mexico City, I think this year, maybe a couple, I don't know when she made it official, but she's in Mexico City now. And she is this hella intense producer. Like she, her sets are just like, they leave you exhausted. Yeah. Um, she's incredible. I was blown away. She played at Tracian Pride and I was telling you, like she did a back to back with Tiger Paul uh, from New York and she's a ballroom DJ producer as well. Um, and it was just, it was my favorite. Like I, I was like three in the morning, exhausted. I was devastated. I was like, I can't even dance. I just got to go home. Like it yeah. was incredible. Like if she's in your town, don't walk, run to the Diana show. Absolutely. She's one of the founders of Iedra. Um, and when she, when her, so it was her, uh, Ivan, and Nawal that founded Iedra, three film students who had never been DJs before. They started the party. Um, but Tayana started mixing and she obviously is talented at it. Um, she's world famous now. Shout out Tayana. Um, Agromance and Brian are both um, Iedra kind of more emergent DJs and producers. Mm-hmm. Um, but Iedra has this like real family feel again. So Brian actually just came up to Mexico City. Um, Brian played at a bunch of gigs up here recently. Um, yeah. And then we already know about the two guys of So yeah. I think what happened here is that the four of them just got into, you know, they were hanging out and they came up with this really intense track. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at the, the album art, which appears to be some kind of, you know, protest in the street, which is, you know, a fact of life in Argentina yep. reality these days. So, yeah, I'm super excited to play this track for you. Okay. Um, shout out to Iedra. I'm going to get down there one day. I'm going <laughs> to come to Argentina. We're going to hang out. All righty. So, again, this is Iedra. The track is Mordida do Macaco. And we will be right back with more Cat Donahue.
Alrighty. And so uh, the last track that we just heard there uh, is by a producer named Oli. Um, and uh, the track is Oni Bokuso. Um, yes. So what's, uh, what's up with Oli? Um, so that, yeah, that track is also featuring Perro Sucio, who's another Mexico City producer. So Oli is um, a woman producer here from Mexico City. And I, I mean, I, I knew when you said Dark Club, I knew that I wanted to bring that track <laughs> because it's one of the like more like ominous, like middle clanking, like door shutting um, kind of songs that I've heard recently that I'm really into. Um, Oli, I'm also just really into her. Like I've never seen a person, for example, DJ with that much joy. Like <laughs> she is this tiny little woman and um, she looks like she's like 14. And she showed. I was at. She performed at Normal, didn't she? Like um, two years ago, maybe. It's totally possible. Yeah, uh, I think I caught her for the first time actually at a Neo Perreo event. Whoa! Yeah, she she was one of the um, one of the supporting artists at a Neo Perreo event here in Mexico City, and she came in and she was like. It was just like this little girl who was like standing in front of the DJ, one of the first DJs, like drinking a beer and just dancing like hella dancing like and I just love it when women are like dancing by themselves in front of the DJ yeah. just like yes um, and then she puts down she finishes her beer and she goes up and she's the next DJ and I'm like oh gag that's amazing yes. I was like yes fuck yes um, so yeah she has a vibe that's really incredible um, I'm excited to see where her career takes her um, I'm fully support you Oli shout out to you keep an eye out keep an eye out um, so we talked about um we talked about uh, the visibility of women in, in a lot of these nightclub uh, or nightlife spaces, um, but I also want to talk about um, queer and trans visibility in these spaces because uh, up next we are going to feature uh, a producer named Ariel Cetina, uh, and well, I don't know if they're trans, but I know that the track is called Invisible Trans Woman. Ariel so, is trans. Okay, yeah. cool. And like, um, you know, I, I I think it's really cool because like I we were talking about DJs the other day about like you know people that I could talk to and I didn't know DJ Guapis was trans um, and I was like oh my god that's fucking cool and like because uh, I just saw her perform uh, at, uh, at at Scum as well and like it was fucking crazy and Zimoa also like perf- you know perf- uh, DJed so I want to talk a little bit about like at least in these spaces that 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 you run around in these circles. Um, how do you see queer and trans folks represented and like how much power do we hold uh, in these spaces? Absolutely. Well, I maybe am in a bubble Mm. because for a long time now, um, my community and not just here, but also in San Francisco, my best friends um, have all been out of queer nightlife and they've all been queer people who have been like the bosses. Uh, I used to have a magazine with a person named Kelly Love Monster who formed this. What a great name. Yes. <laughs> There's so many great things about Kelly, but he formed this uh, party called Swagger Like Us in San Francisco that was really one of San Francisco's first um, POC focused queer hip hop parties. Right. Um, so I don't know. I've been super spoiled. I mean, people say like, "Oh, we're the queers," and I'm like, "Queers." First of all, like, queers like basically invented nightlife, <laughs> um, and we're still pushing it forward. We're still the ones like, I mean, the trends that we are coming up with are the ones that like all of a sudden are like in Ibiza ten years later. Of course, one hundred percent. And here in Mexico City, like, I can reel off a list of an amazing queer spaces, and I'm going to do that just because I can. Please and do. I have a microphone in front of me, but yeah. Um, shout out. That I 
Misión, Punto Cosarera, Casa Gomorra, La Canita, which is actually a marisqueria, as oh you know, God, but so, so delicious, yes. Other right, um, and it's owned by Aliguagua. Exacto. Yeah? Uh -huh. Aliguagua, un, a legend in Cumbia, and she's also a DJ. Um, cumbia Queers, uh, Ultrasonicas. Absolutely. Like, um, know them. Yes. <laughs> know them, them, them. Uh -huh. Perrealismo, Mami Slut, another one of my favorite parties. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here in Mexico City, we are blessed to have a bunch of queer people that are agitating to create these spaces and hold the line in these queer spaces. That being said, just because you start a queer party does not make it a safe space. Obviously, um, I can tell you as a person who works in the door of uh, of a pretty, like, of a queer party that's pretty visible. I mean, Tradición is very visible on the internet. And right. so we get a lot of people coming through there and it's not always queer people and it's not always people who understand um, what it takes to respect boundaries right. in a nightlife situation. So it's, it's really an ongoing process and it's a really a matter of being really proactive when you're at the party and stepping in and stepping up for people and trusting your instincts and when something doesn't feel right to you then really just going full bore and, and getting loud and, and getting pushy and things like that just to protect people because yeah we're still everyone's still learning we're all still learning we're all still learning I mean certainly here in Mexico City we're certainly still learning what it takes to protect trans people Absolutely. in a nightlife situation um, and I know that there's a lot of uh, trans I mean DJ Guapis is definitely a pioneer in that respect um, in terms of, of having to be in the position where she's educating people constantly yeah. about what it takes to respect her body and her art and things like that um, so yeah I mean I think we're in a really interesting place. We talk in Traición a lot about how eyes are on queer culture right now. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the support is there, um, especially when we talk about financial support. You better preach it. You know, <laughs> um, my last, I think that you might have read my piece that I did for them about Traición, but it was about... Um, It was about our appearance at Festival Ceremonia recently mm -hmm. and how of all of the stages that were there, the line to get into the Traición Dome, Dome was huge. It was so long. That's so fucking cool. People, it was packed the entire time, but we had no corporate sponsor. That's also not surprising. It was, we had no corporate sponsor. And that's something, that's a trend. I mean, it's something like... I mean, was Traición, would Traición have accepted a corporate sponsor? Oh, I'm just saying, you know, because like we're political as well Listen, as artistic. So, you know, absolutely, absolutely. But I think that I mean, I, I don't want to speak for the Tradición founders, but I think that where we come down on this is that queer artists deserve to get paid oh, totally. to make their art. Yeah. And in Mexico City in 2018, I think that you I've, I've listened to your show a lot and I know on past episodes that you've remarked on the role that brands take in nightlife Hell here yeah, and absolutely. in festivals and things like that. Like, yeah, brands really move the scene here. So it's like, if you're trying to make money, it's not going to come from covers. It's going to come from that sponsorship. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to support, you know, queer artists, you know, show that money support, that financial yeah. support. I mean, because like, you know, your standard, basic, boring four boys, you know, in skinny jeans, tussled hair and guitars are getting that money. Why aren't people out of here who are like 
probably putting a lot more work into their art. You yes. know? Um, I actually, I just profiled a sailor fag for Remezcla, uh, which I'm really excited about. Go read it. Um, but that was one of, that was one of the comments that I made because he's sort of like dismissed as a joke and as a gimmick. And I'm like, he is very funny, but like everything that he's saying is just ha- holds so much weight. And they're like these really sort of like incisive observations. Um, and like, it just kind of shows like he is massive. He has like 80,000 followers across every single platform. And he still goes completely sort of like ignored and unreported. And it kind of speaks to like the, the efforts, the fucking like, you know, the fucking alboroto that you have to make for as a queer artist or as a trans artist to have your work covered outside of pride season to not just be a seasonal highlight. Right. You know, and that drives me fucking crazy. I know. Well, you know what? And I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about this because it's something that's really irritating, but like, I mean, as a queer (laughs) artist, you do have to deal with that. You're not getting as much exposure. People aren't as comfortable X, Y, Z. But then also when you do get that exposure, then you're going to have people from your own community saying, why did you take that? money oh yeah how could you do this how could you do that it's like listen like we're trying to make art here like not everyone has parents that are paying their rent you know what i mean and that's a shout out to someone in particular that i hope you're (laughs) (laughs) work (laughs) spill the tea Uh uh-huh and uh, we need to be conscious of where our money is coming from but the the fact of the matter is is that we are human beings that have financial needs. Yeah. And if we're going to spend our life making art, then we also need that art to make money. And that's it. What a great, <laughs> great little sign off there. All right. I mean, we're not done with the show by any means, but uh, we're going to uh, play now this track by Ariel Cetina. Uh, again, the track is Invisible Trans Woman. We didn't talk too much about Ariel, but when we come back uh, from the musical break, we'll talk about her. Uh, so again, this is Invisible Trans Woman by Ariel Cetina, and we'll be right back.
bichadão fazendo pra todo lado Que eu olho tanto desenviadecendo Mas não tem nada a ver com gostar de rola ou não Pode vir, cola juntas, transviada, sapatão Bora enviadecer até arrastar a bunda no chão E, e aí as bichas ficou maluca Além de enviadecer tem que bater a bunda na nuca E aí as bichas ficou maluca Além de enviadecer tem que bater a bunda na nuca Ei, se você aí macho discreto Chega mais, cola aqui, vamos bater um papo reto Que eu não tô interessada no seu grande power app Eu gosto mesmo, é das bichas Das que são afeminadas Das que mostram muita pele Rebolam, sai maquiado Vou falar mais devagar pra ver se consegue entender Se tu quiser ficar comigo, boy Tu vai ter que enviar descer Envia descer, envia descer Ai meu Deus, o que que é isso que essas bichas tão fazendo Pra todo lado que eu olho tão todos envia descendo Ai meu Deus, o que que é isso que essas bichas tão fazendo Pra todo lado que eu olho tão todos envia descendo Mas não tem nada a ver com gostar de rolo ou não Pode vir, cola juntas transviadas, sapatão bora Envia descer até arrastar a bunda no chão Aí as bichas ficou maluca Além de enviar descer tem que bater a bunda na nuca Aí as bichas ficou maluca Além de enviar descer tem que bater, 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 bater Bater a bunda na nuca Um, Alright, and hey, so we're back, and that was another track. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, that second track that we just heard there uh, was by Linda Quebrada, um, and the track is Envia de Ser, uh, which is like to, let's say, gayify, but it's probably, it's, viado is, is the more extreme, it's faggot, I mean, come on, whatever. Um, <laughs> Y'all know what show this is. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, but uh Yeah, I was mentioning to Kat before that there's this fabulous party uh, in Rio called Vede Viadao, and it's a play on words. I'm sort of like saying F for Fago. Um, Viadao is a deer. Um, and it's an incredible party. If y'all are ever in Rio, fucking go to that party. It's the best party I've probably ever been to in my whole life. Um, but anyway, but yeah, so, so it was really cool. Like, I'm, I'm actually really excited. That, so we played Ariel Zetina, and we didn't speak too much about her, and, and I want to talk about her now. Uh, and then Linda Quebrada, who is this, you know, again, this uh, trans MC from, I believe, Rio, actually, or Sao Paulo. She's from Brazil. No, she's from Rio. I'm pretty sure she's from Rio. Um, and so, yeah, and like Linda Quebrada has also done quite a bit of work with Nafi. I think they have a mixtape sort of in the works. I don't know if it's done. Um, so what can you tell me about these two fabulous uh, ladies? Absolutely. Um, so let me see. I'm going to start with Ariel. So Ariel is out of Chicago. Um, I am, I don't know too much about her. I've never seen her in live before, but I do love her tracks. Um, Invisible Trans Woman, I just love because it's one of those like electro uh, electronic club tracks because that really takes you on a journey. Like there's a lot of different feelings that are enclosed in that in that track. Um, a lot of different emotions. Um, she's also a disc woman affiliate. Oh, wow. Yes. And she's also done work with the Houston label Magia. Um, uh-huh. The, the uh, Santa Muerte. Exactly. They also released music on Santa Muerte, but she did work with them on that compilation that they did where the proceeds went to United We Dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yes. It was recent. It came out like two months ago or something exactly, like that. Yeah, cool. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's a feel good thing. Um, 
Linda Cabrada is an incredible MC from Brazil. And I've interviewed her for Remezcla before. She got her start as a poet. Um, Yes, absolutely. So she started writing her songs as a poet. Eventually, she started putting them to music. Um, Enviada Ser is actually, I believe it was her first single. And it's the most, um, it's the one that takes the most from the language of Baile Funk, which is what her direction really was at the beginning. Baile Funk is, obviously, we all know, is like a massively popular genre in Brazil. Um, So she's really talking to people um, in in the parlance of of the era, Uh no? because this is a few years old now, probably. It is, yeah. yeah it's a few years old now. Um, her latest stuff is getting really interesting. Like, you've played her on the show before, so you already know this, but it's getting a lot darker. Mm. Um, I saw her live. Uh, she played at Traición, actually, at Festival Ceremonia earlier so this jealous. year. Yes. And her, her set was really, I mean, it was a lot of, it was drama. Mm. It was performance. You know, she has um, an incredible backup singer who's Jupe de Barrio. Um, sorry if I didn't, <laughs> if I just butchered your name, Jupe, but um, you are amazing. Um, and yeah, her show was just like, it was theater. It was opera. It was beautiful. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, so she's definitely like, I think that a lot of times Brazil... Brazil is so big and so thriving that yeah. they really have their own musical talents. You know, they have their own musical industry. They don't like, I mean, I know a lot of like reggaeton artists. I know they like don't make it to Brazil because Brazil doesn't care about reggaeton. They have brother funk. They have all their own beautiful like pop singers and pop divas and everything like that. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, the rest of the world gets a chance to really like start experiencing some of the stars from there. Cause so like a year ago, actually, Beverly and I had a similar conversation to what you just mentioned that like you know because like Brazil and reggaeton don't really mix even but but they do um, so Maluma had that song uh, called Corazon and he did that song with Nego de Borel who is like this huge star down there pretty pl- problematic fuck that guy but um, and I'll explain why fuck that guy in a second um, but they did a song together and like they're like singing in Portuguese and like it's really cool and then J Balvin is down there doing you know stuff with Anita mm-hmm. and like so you know it, it it makes perfect sense that reggaeton would expand into into um, Brazil because Brazilians love dancing and Brazilians love like having a good time and reggaeton is dancing and having a good time so like I would not be surprised like especially like with these sort of like big crossovers I would not be surprised if you start hearing sort of like Brazilian artists, um, you know, featuring on reggaeton tracks or reggaeton artists uh, more so embracing baile funk, which I feel like they're already doing uh, right. in some cases. I don't know. I like. I feel like this is a a conversation that will happen again. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I think a lot of these crossovers are basically money grabs. Oh, I mean, you know I'm what I mean? <laughs> if there's something cool that comes out of it, so be it. Get your coins. Absolutely. <laughs> or, or market grabs, yeah. I should say. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'd like to see more by funk out in the world. Totally. And also like fuck Nego do Borel because again, he is um, kind of like a baile funk artist, but he's huge. He has millions and millions of followers and his latest video, I forget what the name of the track is, has him come up in drag and and like basically like lampooning sort of like travestis in Brazil and like making out with like he's in like in the favelas and it it kind of was maybe it was a parody of like that there was that Anita video that was also quite controversial because she was glorifying favela life as a light skinned you know right. woman who was quite rich in Brazil right, um, right, right. doing like you know black braids etc cetera, etc cetera. so there there seems to be a lot of like 
you know, like favela culture has become cool in the same way that queer culture has. Mm -hmm. And it's being embraced by the mainstream and in many ways not being represented authentically or respectfully. Right. Because in Brazil right now, I mean, you're a big Pablo Vitar fan. I mean, there's so many. Brazil has incredible like gender queer like pop stars. Lineker, Lineker Os Caramelos is, incre- is huge. Yes. You know? I follow a singer down there named Gloria Groove. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, uh, there was another one. There's like, there's this crew of like lesbian rappers and they're fucking cool and I forget their name. Um, but like there's Silva, there's Jalo. Jalo is just, I mean, at this point, like I don't even feel comfortable like, you know, assuming their gender. Um, like Jalo is fucking crazy. Like I actually know more queer and trans artists from Brazil than I do straight ones. Yes. So I like, I actually kind of love that. Yes. And I love that like, Actually, I interviewed Aja. I don't know if you watch Drag Race, but like Aja was a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm familiar with Aja. And um, and she like said something that really struck me in our interview uh, because she put out an EP earlier this year. And um, she was telling me she's like, you could take literally the following of all of the RuPaul Drag Race girls. And RuPaul, like the the social media numbers, and you would still not even hit the halfway mark on Pablo Vitar. Damn. And like, but you know, outside of Brazil, not like some people are starting to talk about her, but like not at the level that she should be, you know, getting covered. But right. That is cute. Right. And she's had like Diplo features. She has billion plays on like her videos. Uh-huh. <laughs> or half a billion. You know, it's just like she's not no small potato you know no. she's she's on par with your gagas and your katie perry's you know but like for some reason like we're just like not looking the other way and i think it's less because she's a drag queen and more because she's from brazil i think it's the portuguese yeah i think it's language yeah yeah so what i'm trying to say is you know open your mind <laughs> Listen to lyrics that you don't necessarily understand. You can always Google Translate later. Hilarious. All right. Well, so we're moving forward. We're almost there. Um, we have a cup of uh, one more set. Uh, so we have next a song by Blaze Kid. Uh, the song is called Tranquilo, and he is part of this label called uh, Bala Club. Is Bala it a label? Club. Um, yeah, you can call it a label. Okay. It's a collective. Uh, oh, okay. Where's Bala Club from? So Bala Club it was founded by two Chileans oh. who live in London. Uh, uh, their names are Ulike and okay. Kamixlo. I was going to say, I was like, is Kamixlo a part of it? Oh, that's cool. Yes. They are brothers. And I had the pleasure of interviewing them at home um, when I went out to England last year. And um, yeah, I mean, crazy geniuses. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? These are two kids that really spent their adolescence at home um, watching wrestling, like Japanese wrestling and being real nerdy and... <laughs> You know, listening to the reggaeton that their older cousins forced on them and the heavy metal that their older cousins forced on them. And uh, they made this incredible fusion that actually reflects a lot of what's going on um, in South America and in, in Latin America, I think. But they did it on their own terms and they really came to it on their via their own path. Um, so they have these crazy parties in London that is like this like dark reggaeton sound that right. is like really resonating kind of around the world. But they were really on the cutting edge of making that happen out in Europe. Um, so yeah, so Blaze Kid is... I believe Blaze Kid is has Ecuadorian roots, but he's another um, kid from London. They're all from Brixton, from South London, and um, yeah, and he kind of he really follows this line of like uh, 
they make a lot of like very like bizarre kind of like dreamy wavy uh, electro R&B but they also are all really good at this more like intense club reggaeton and that's what we're gonna see in this track Tranquilo fantastic okay so let's listen to that now again this is Blaze Kid the track is Tranquilo and we will be right back sensaciones huh dice así sound más alto para el mundo Si te gustan las maldades, mátalo, persíguelo, mátalo, persíguelo, mátalo, persíguelo. Te gustan las maldades, mátalo, persíguelo, mátalo, persíguelo, mátalo, persíguelo. Te gustan las maldades, mátalo, persíguelo, mátalo, persíguelo, mátalo, persíguelo. Ellos solo piden más, ellos solo piden más. Cosadera está completa, no me pierdo una rumba buena, suelta, suelta. Que este parte está que quema, mírala como mueve su cadera. Para adelante, para atrás, también a la reversa. Ahora a beber con el trago, quita pena.
Okay, and so the uh, song that we just heard uh, is 90210 Valle del Cauca Remix, and this is by Infinite Scroll, who's kind of a major deal in, in like this sort of like, again, dark club scene and has been for a long time. Shout out to Alberto in Monterrey. I know that he's going to be like, ah! Um, so tell us a little bit about Infinite Scroll because we've never played him on the show before. Sure. Um, Infinite Scroll is one of my faves. Um, he, This track that we just played is off of his summer 2018 mixtape. And he, for a couple years now, has been putting out these summer mixtapes that are just like constantly define my summers. Like, I just love them. <laughs> and... I don't think of him as being very dark at all, actually. I think of him as being super sunshine, um, cutting up different genres in a way that just, like, really highlights, like, the party, like, bouncy aspect of them. Um, he's been known to go into, like, the pop archives, you know, pull out the pop, mix it with Dembo. Hey. Uh-huh, make something really cute like that. Um, he's Ecuadorian, yeah? Or at least of Ecuadorian descent. Do you know what? I, I think This I know. Okay. So okay. I don't know if he's from Ecuador or if he's just of Ecuadorian descent, but I know that it, there's Ecuadorian blood in there. What I know is that he's currently based in Colombia. Really? Yes. Oh, that's fucking cool. Yeah, isn't it? I had no idea. I thought he was like in Brooklyn. Yeah, no. He's <laughs> been in Colombia for a minute now. Wow. Uh-huh. I think he actually works in the coffee industry down there. What? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. So The more you know. Exactly. Um, well, we're at the end of this episode. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much, Kat. Um, this fucking... I mean, I loves me some good conversation, so... Um, I'm just glad to, to, to be able to like dive into some, I mean, this is a bit of a long one, but I'm just happy that we like, were able to dive into some real shit, you know? Well, thanks for letting me talk your ear off. It's been <laughs> a real pleasure to be on here and yeah, it was, it was really fun getting interviewed. I don't normally get interviewed. I, isn't it, isn't it weird? Like when, when, when those, the, those roles get reversed, you're like, huh? Weird, but super fun and like super gratifying for my, nar- my narcissism. Hey, and that's what matters. Exactly. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find your work, where they can find your or, uh, social media if it is if that's something that you wanted to share oh yeah I would love to share that um, so yeah as you mentioned I write for Remezcla a lot so you can usually find me there um, I also have bylines on um, Fact Mag on them on The Advocate on um, The Advocate too damn into, yeah I love writing for 48 Hills which is my my, my home uh, blog back in San Francisco and yeah, and if you want to, and I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. So the best way is to get me on social media. Um, I'm at Caitlin Donahue. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-D-O-N-O-H-E on Twitter. Um, I'm also Birdwatch, B-Y-R-D on Instagram. Um, and you can hit me up there too. That's amazing. And well, I mean, if y'all are here, you already know that we are Song Mess. Uh, you can find us on all social media platforms, uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Songmas or Songmas Music. I mean, just, you know, whatever comes up. Um, you can always email us directly at songmessmusic at gmail.com. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. Uh, and again, we're probably like on a bunch of also like other like shady platforms. So feel free to Google us. I mean, we will pop up just about anywhere, just like herpes. So, um, <laughs> um, so again, shout we, out herpes, <laughs> shout out herpes, um, know your status. Um, but anyway, so we have one more, uh, song here. This is by an artist called Chaboy, uh, whom I've never heard of. Oh yeah. Um, but we have the, the, the song is called Kiki. 
uh, Too Many Girls Cumbia. Yes. So Chaboy is from a collective from Los Angeles called Late Night Laggers, who I had the pleasure of attending one of their events last year, and it goes off um, emerging reggaeton scene in LA. They are definitely at the forefront. He is probably the most recent integrant into the Neo Perreo clan. Um, He just played at uh, their Red Bull event. Um, with Miss Nina a wow. couple weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, he's great. This this song is a great one to go out on. It's super party, super Drake, super good times. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kat. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, this is Chavoy. The song is Kiki, Too Many Girls Cumbia, and we'll catch you guys next time. Ciao. <laughs> Yeah, we'll